Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past. Hey, welcome to Snazzy Stories. If you would like to keep the storytelling alive, please go to patreon.com slash snazzy stories and donate to my storytelling adventure. Also subscribe to Snazzy Stories Podcast on iTunes and other podcast apps or go to snazzystories.com. Now, three years ago in October, my husband and I went to Kansas and Missouri and we visited some LDS church historical sites. The most interesting and haunting grounds to me was a place called Hans Mill. On October 30th, 1838, 240 members of the mob slithered into the Mormon settlement of Hans Mill to massacre the 75 families that were living there. For protection, many of the saints ran into the blacksmith shop. However, the mob aimed their rifles through the cracks and took fire. This is an account from Willard Gilbert Smith of what happened that day. Quote, With my two younger brothers, I was at the blacksmith shop with father, when without warning, a large body of mounted men with faces blackened or painted like Indians rode up yelling and commenced shooting into the group. The men at the shop called for quarters, but the mob paid no attention, continuing to shoot. The men then shouted to their wives to take the children and run for their lives. We were surrounded on three sides by the mob, and the old mill and the mill pond were on the other. The men ran for the shop, taking the little boys with them. My two little brothers ran with father. But when I tried to enter the shop, my arms flew up and braced themselves against each side of the door, preventing my entrance. In my frenzy of fear, I again tried to enter the shop, and again, my arms were braced to prevent my going in. After a third futile attempt, I ran around the corner of the shop and crawled into a pile of lumber, hiding as best I could. Immediately, the mob began shooting at me, and splintered lumber flew all around. I crawled out and ran into an empty house on the slope near the pond. Here I found an old revolutionary soldier, Father McBride, who had been wounded and had crawled into a potato cellar under the floor of the house. Although I warned him that the mob would find and kill him, he begged for a drink of water and to be helped out of the cellar. I then went to the mill pond to get him some water and was deliberately fired upon, the bullets spattering in the water like hail. I escaped without a scratch. The mob did find this aged veteran, and as he raised his hands in supplication for mercy, they were hacked and fingers split down by a dull corn cutter. I made the old gentleman as comfortable as possible, and as the bullets were flying thickly around us, I ran from this house into another one close by. Here I heard sobs and whispered comfortings, and lifting the valance around the bed, I found six little girls huddled in fear. As the bullets had followed me into the house, I said to the little girls, Come, we must get out of here, or we will all be killed. So we ran to the mill race, which we crossed on a board, reaching the woods on the other side of the pond, with the mob shooting at us all the way. After our race for life, the little girls scurried off like prairie chickens into the brush and tall corn. Knowing that my father and two brothers were in the shop with the mob still firing, I took shelter behind our large tree where I could watch the activities of the mob with comparative safety. Finally... They ceased firing, dismounted, and went into the shop where they finished killing any whom they thought were not dead. 
From there, they went into all the cabins and tents, destroying or taking groceries or furnishings. Then after taking all the horses belonging to their victims, they rode off howling like Indians. As soon as I was sure they had gone, I started for the shop and was the first person to enter this holocaust, stepping over the dead body of my father in doing so. I looked around and found my brother Sardis, dead, with the entire top of his head shot away, and my brother Alma, almost lifeless, lying among a pile of dead where he had been thrown by the mobsters, who evidently thought him dead. I picked up Alma from the dirt and was carrying him from the shop when I met my mother, who screamed, They have killed my little Alma. I replied, No, mother, but father and Sardis are dead. I begged her not to enter the shop, but to help me with Alma. Our tent had been looted. Mother leveled the straw and covered it with some clothing, and on this awful bed we placed Alma, cutting off his pants to determine the extent of his injury. After placing Alma on this improvised bed, my mother, Amanda Barnes-Smith, a woman of dauntless courage and implicit faith in her Heavenly Father, found that the entire ball and socket of the left hip had been shot away, leaving the bones about three or four inches apart. As soon as Alma was conscious, Mother asked him if he thought the Lord could make him another new hip, and he replied that if she thought he could, then he too believed it could be done. Then she called her remaining three children around the bed, and they knelt and supplicated the Lord for faith and guidance. Mother dedicated Alma to the Lord, praying that he be restored and made well and strong. But if this was not possible, to take him in his innocence. This picture of my mother's implicit faith in her Heavenly Father remained as a living testimony to her children through their lives. In her terrible sorrow and bereavement, her only help could come from divine guidance. By inspiration, her prayers were answered and she knew what to do. First, she was directed to take the ashes from a fireplace and made a mild lye solution with which she bathed the gaping wound until it was as white as the breast of a chicken with all the mangled flesh and bone gone. Then she prayed for further guidance and was prompted to take the roots from the slippery elm tree and made poultices for application. She asked me if I had seen any elm trees, and I replied that there were some on the banks of the stream feeding the mill pond. By this time, dark had descended upon the tragic scene, and when my mother asked if I could take a shovel and get some of the roots, you can appreciate the terror which gripped my heart as an 11-year-old child. However, my mother assured me that the Lord would protect me, and with a lighted torch of shag bark hickory, I began my search. Women and children were lamenting loss of husbands, fathers, and children. Dogs were howling, and the cattle smelling fresh blood were bellowing, and no one could know how many mobocrats lurked in the menacing shadows. It required all the courage I could summon to take the shovel and then with the aid of a dim torch follow the stream and secure the roots from which Mother made a soothing poultice. The story of the miraculous healing of Alma's hip had been related many times, but few realized the constant terror of the stricken family unable to leave the state as Alma could not be moved because of his injured hip. Yet they were repeatedly warned that if they did not leave, they would be killed. They were forbidden to call the family together for prayers or even to pray vocally alone. 
This godless silence, Mother said, she could not stand. So one day, she crawled into the field of corn. After carefully ascertaining that no one was within hearing distance, she said, Prayed till her soul felt satisfied. As she left the cornfield, although there was no one in sight, she plainly heard a voice repeating these words. That soul who on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I cannot, I will not, desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. From that moment, Mother said, she had no further fear of the mob, and she inspired us children with faith that if we conscientiously did right, the Lord would shelter us from harm. Although Alma lay in the same position for five weeks while the wound was healing, strength seemed to come to the limb suddenly. One day when Mother was carrying a bucket of water from the spring, she was alarmed to hear the children screaming in the house. She rushed through the door to see them all running about the room with Alma in the lead, crying, I'm well, Ma, I'm well. Something had grown in to take the place of the missing ball and socket, and he was able to use the limb with no inconvenience. Although it was necessary in later years to pad the side of his trousers, he never suffered any pain or discomfort. Although he fulfilled a mission in the Sandwich Islands where he did a great deal of walking, as soon as Alma was well enough that we could have planned to leave Missouri, great difficulties presented themselves, one being that our horses had been confiscated by the mob. Finally, I went with Mother to Captain Comstock, leader of the mob, and she demanded the horses, one of which was in the field. He said we might have an animal by paying $5 for its feed bill. This Mother could not do, as all her money had been stolen by the mob. I admired her courage when she walked out into the field and tying her apron around the horse's neck, led it home with no further objections. Unquote. The event of Hans Mill was absolutely horrifying, and there are many other events in LDS history like that. Now, since I teach Utah history, I teach about the Mormon people and why they came into the West to Utah to settle. We discuss the persecution they faced because of their beliefs and ultimately the death of Joseph and Hiram Smith. But I don't go into any of the gory details of it because they're only in seventh grade. And we don't talk about Hans Mill. But I do think about it every time I teach this unit. Now, even though I don't go into all of the gory details about the hardships that the LDS people faced to my seventh graders... It does give them a brief introduction into groups of people being harassed because of their lifestyles and their beliefs. This unit that I teach is always a reflection for me on my own religious history. I have taught this unit many times, but recently I have gained new perspective on Joseph Smith's death and the changed worldview of the saints by other people. When the LDS prophet Thomas S. Monson died in 2018, I started to reflect back on the religious persecution of the saints, and I had just started teaching about it that week that he had passed away, 
and also about the death of Joseph Smith. And so I was thinking about these things, and I started comparing the two, and I, and I couldn't help but notice how much had changed since the beginning of the LDS Church. Mormons were hunted and murdered, like at Hans Mill, and the, like the death of Joseph Smith at Carthage Jail. Now, LDS members are very much in the limelight, and everywhere on social media, being a Mormon is a badge of honor. Or at least it was until the new prophet stepped in and now wants Mormons to refer to themselves as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I have my own thoughts on that. But as for the death of President Monson, he received accolades from not just LDS members, but leading members of society who were not affiliated with the LDS church. The religion itself has had some changes. But the major change that I am impressed with is the perspective that others take on the LDS people. I know that some people still hold a hatred towards Mormons, and the Mormon church is losing members for various reasons. The New York Times even took it upon itself to write an obituary for President Monson. However, many LDS members believed the tone of the article had a negative vibe to it. But as I reflected on the death of Joseph Smith and a journal entry that I had read about a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I couldn't help but think that members of the church should not necessarily be upset with some non-LDS members' reactions to the death of Thomas S. Monson. Because I would be surprised if the members of the LDS church had a terrorizing feeling about his death. I would like to share Lucina Meekham's experience when the prophet Joseph Smith was murdered. Quote, Just a short time before the prophet Joseph Smith was killed, He came to our place in Nauvoo, Illinois. He took me on his knee, and I was too young to remember what he said, but I can remember him holding me on his knee. When we were out playing and he happened to pass, everyone stopped playing to watch him until he was out of sight. I shall never forget when Mother took me and my baby sister, Elvira, to see the prophet and patriarch Hiram Smith after they were killed by the mob. Mother did not want to take me, as I had no shoes, but I wanted to go. She said, I will take you so you can remember you saw the prophet and his brother. The night they were killed, the dogs were howling all night. The people of Nauvoo beat their drums to let the mob know we were on the lookout for them. And now I am 83 years old. But I cannot help crying whenever I hear a dog howl or a drum beat. Lucina's experience with Brother Joseph and having such a terrible memory of when he died really strikes me as amazing in that other people have come a long way in accepting the Mormon people as human beings who deserve a better ending than what the past gave to so many Mormons who were hunted, tortured, and murdered. I understand the sadness that people felt when President Monson passed away, but I had a difficult time understanding the frustration for the New York Times article, and even some members who were very upset by his passing who were not family 
of Thomas S. Monson or close friends. My friend is a manager of a store, and she told a customer to have a good day as they were leaving. And the customer retorted in a rude tone that it was not a good day because her prophet had died. If President Monson was a close friend or a family member, the grieving process, I believe, is different than from only members of the church who are not family or close friends to Thomas Monson. However, that does not mean that I wasn't saddened by the passing of the prophet of my own religion. But I cannot help but reflect on Lucina's experience when Joseph Smith was killed. I guess I take into account the murder of Joseph Smith and I tend to compare his death to other prophets. I can't imagine having an experience like Lucina. To have the death of our current prophet be as violent and despicable as Brother Joseph's was. I was laying in bed and about to fall asleep when my husband came into our bedroom and told me that President Monson had passed away. I remember thinking it was sad, but I don't have an awful gut-wrenching memory of it. I feel that the murder of a current prophet would warrant frustration and anger towards those groups of people who found it to be glorious, just as the mobs who left Carthage to terrorize Nauvoo did. But our world has changed. The death of Thomas S. Monson had no such violence or terror attached to it. The LDS Church has moved forward with a new prophet without experiencing trauma of murder, burning homes, and journeying to a new Zion. The world has changed in many ways when it comes to the LDS religion, but I do find the most significant change is how the world views Mormons. Now, yes, again, there is still negativity about LDS people and the LDS Church. But there's opposition in all things, right? But for Mormons, not having to be trapped in a blacksmith shop at Hans Mill, not having to be tarred and feathered, not being raped, not being shot down, not having to fight for their lives in the United States, is a leap forward. Major leaps forward. And the trauma dealt to the early saints is not what today's saints have been dealt. And I will take that as a win. Thank you for listening to Snazzy Stories. Come back again where everyone has a story.